All right, so good evening. I'm calling the uh, February 28th meeting of the Alameda Health System Board of Trustees meeting to order. Uh, can we get a roll call? Trustee DeVries. I'm here. Trustee Banerjee. Here. Trustee Hernandez. Here. Trustee Avalada. Here. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Charland is not here. Uh, Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Peterson. Here. We have a quorum. Fantastic. Um, we're going to start with... Um, with one public comment, um, uh, Ms. Maria Mendoza-Sanchez, I am so honored to have you come and speak to us. <laughs> Thank you. Good evening, everybody. I, I'm very nervous, <laughs> but I'm very happy to be here to, to uh, be able to tell, tell you how much I appreciate your support on sponsoring the H-1B visa. Uh, that was, I was very happy when I learned that I had that tiny possibility of getting into the lottery for a working visa. So I'm very, very happy and very thankful I really have no more words to express all my happiness. I was really lucky to be selected among uh, 200,000 applicants, and uh, very happy that it was um, it was approved uh, at USCIS, and that the that the um, waiver was also approved by the embassy. So, thank you very much for your support. Uh, my family and I have, like, could never thank you enough for making this miracle a reality. Thank you for your courage. Um, and this place just wasn't the same without you, from what I hear. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Sure. Please. So, um, I'm Terry Lightfoot, Director of Public Affairs here at Rousing the Health System. Um, I met Maria on, on the beginning. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, Mike. Sorry. So, um, I uh, met with Maria at the beginning of uh, maybe a more difficult part of her journey. And it was, um, it was surprising. It was surprising in that um, despite what she was going through, Devetia um, joined us. We met with her and her family. I think we were inspired by her ongoing spirit, her concern for her patients and her family, and she never wavered in terms of what was really important and um, despite what she was going through. So it was um, very inspirational to sort of feel that energy that she had and that really emanated throughout her family. Um, she has been recognized and supported by a number of um, very important folks. Um, you may recall that she was invited to attend the uh, recent State of the Union address and uh, met a lot of wonderful people. Um, and she shared those photos with us and we wanted to commemorate that for her by putting these into a photograph with all the um, wonderful people Aww. you met with so you can have this. Um, you can take the photos from your phone and maybe actually put them this too. And so we have everyone here from Diane Feinstein to Barbarini, uh, Speaker Pelosi, uh, with some quotes from them about how important it was for her 
to attend that event. So we wanted to share this with you so that you can uh, have it. And uh, we thank you so much for your inspiration and your value to our patients and our, our system. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Um, I, if, if I may, I please, also, please. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Chair. Um, I wanted to also echo my my immense uh, appreciation and thank you to Maria. She has been an incredible ambassador for for Alameda Health System, and I'd say our our city and our and our state uh, for what she has had to endure uh, for her family and, as Terry mentioned, for uh, this organization and the patients we serve. And she she has done that with uh, the the level of poise and professionalism that I don't know that many of us could muster under the circumstances. And I think it's important to note that you know the situation continues. Her her family. Uh, she's here and with her kids, but her husband is not, and um, and we hope that we can um, uh, completely reunite the family as soon as possible. But really, are um, um, blessed and feel fortunate that we we do have her here. She was gone way too long. She shouldn't have been gone at all, but she was gone way too long. And uh, it's just wonderful for for this community and this organization to have her back. So thank you for the opportunity to to recognize her. Thank you. Um, so I, I have a few uh, others that have signed up to speak. I know that we have some doctors who want to speak on item F1. Um, I want to be respectful of everybody's time. And so first, I want to ask, uh, uh, I have two speakers. I'm not sure if they're speaking on that item or on something else. So Arnold Billinger, I, I assume you're not speaking on item F1. Come on up. Uh, let's hand him a mic. Uh, yeah, if we could uh, get a mic in his hand, that'd be great. Just while you're doing that, um, uh, is it Micah Elman and Amira Elman and Amelia Breyer? Are you speaking on item F1? No. Okay, so I will have you speak then after, after Mr. Willinger. Good afternoon, Chair, members of the Board of Trustees. I've appeared here before, and very good me. I'm Arnold Bellinger. I'm the president of the Resident Council at Park Bridge Rehabilitation and Wellness Center. And I want to tell you a little bit about my life here. I even saw a transfer to Harvard Hospital last Friday, the 27th. <coughs> I morning saw a is leaving for St. Rose Hospital this Monday, the 4th. And by evening we leave, he is going to Harvard in three months. All three are accepting positions that pay more and demand less work. And I don't blame them. But few resources have been hired since the residents need care and attention. The workload is distributed among the remaining staff. It is not uncommon for a woman to get two or three pickups with the one who is responsible for it. And this is, this is not just once or twice a month. This is several times a week. And you can bank on this happening during 
daylight shifts on both Saturday and Sunday, and several more times during the week. The remaining sailors are angry and stressed because they have been given no responsibility and are doing their work. So we apply and get hired at other places. Some of them are out of the health systems, some are at other places. But nobody is added to the staff at Park Village. And so the crisis struggles. I chose Robert George. That sort of was called when I got there because it had a stellar reputation. I'm not sure that it still has that reputation. But for, for me, it's home. Why can't we restore this former glory and make it a place where people want to work? I want to live in a place where administration can pick and choose among the staff members. Their staff is eager to come to work, happy to have me in and out of bed. And it's getting worse and worse each time, or each month. And we're just not getting the replacement people. And the other people are just living in droves. Thank you. Thank you for your input. Um, so we are the resident physicians of Highland Hospital, um, and I ask for those here for, thank you for, for standing up. Um, we are the workhorses that staff this hospital every weekend, every late night, and every holiday. Um, we work for about $15 an hour. Um, we've chosen to work at Highland Hospital because we each care deeply about the social mission of the safety net hospital. We are concerned that over the past three months, of ongoing new negotiations with HR administration, there have been numerous proposals that undermine our ability to safely and fairly do our jobs serving our patients. As to who residents are, um, at a minimum, we have completed four years of university and four years of medical school. Our average debt after medical school is about $190,000. We work approximately 80 hours a week. We work single shifts, up to 28 hours, um, and about Per recent statistics, 9.4% of first-year residents have reported having suicidal thoughts in the previous two weeks. That's a national statistic. As for residents at Highland, we are highly competitive. We have JDs, PhDs, MPHs, MBAs. Although these are top graduates from top-tier medical schools, from Harvard, Hopkins, Stanford, UCSF, as advertised on our own Alameda website, the IM program has over 1,400 applicants per year. 
BM program consistently ranks by selectivity index in the 99% range of all emergency departments in the country. We are overworked. We do more scut work now peers at Stanford, UCSF, or Kaiser. We routinely perform um, staff jobs. Um, we operate independently, but more so than most of other residents. Um, and we do struggle with work-life balance. Trauma pain for the ER, level 1, ETA, 10 minutes. Trauma pain for the ER, level 1, ETA, 10 minutes. Backup trauma pain for the ER, level 1, ETA, 10 minutes. Backup trauma pain for the ER, level 1, ETA, 10 minutes. So that's a little bit about who we are and what we do here, and I wanted to highlight some of the issues in negotiation um, that have stalled and that we are advocating for. So a good example is work phones, also known as spectrum phones. These are Wi-Fi phones that work in the hospital, and they were distributed to inpatient and subspecialty teams um, after years and years of advocating, um, similar to our nursing colleagues. Uh, we only received these phones after we were able to memorialize them in the contract in our negotiations 2.5 years ago, even though we have been advocating for this for many years prior to that. They're used to coordinate care. We're using the contact nurses, respiratory therapists, consultants, members of our team, and members of our patients' families in order to deliver timely and appropriate care. And the administration is proposing elimination of this clause in our contract. Having work phones eliminated from our jobs makes our jobs coordinating patient care incredibly challenging and in some cases actually very dangerous. Um, this is an issue of patient care and patient safety. And there are other issues that I can go into if anyone has questions. Um, I would be happy to discuss this further, but this is an example of the things that are, we are fighting for. And we ask for your consideration of these important issues because what we are trying to do is provide high quality care, or in this case, really just standard of care. If, if you need another minute, feel free. Okay. Um, I can I can go over some of the other issues that have come up that we're uh, discussing sure. in bargaining that I feel like... You know we can't bargain in public with you, but it's good to hear. Yeah. yeah. So another issue that's come up is our food budget. Um, currently, we're allocated for about $30 a day in meals. Um, previously, we had been allocated for about $250 a week. Um, the administration had to propose restricting the how the money is spent, so money can only, a certain amount of money can only be spent at a certain time. So X amount of money for lunch in these specific times. We work evenings and nights when the cafeteria is closed and we are not allowed to leave campus during these times because we are the ones who respond to codes. We are the ones who respond when there's a level one trauma stat. Sometimes we purchase meals for consumption during these off hours ahead of time. Um, and Sometimes people in the hospital are unstable. Sometimes people die during what would be other people's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And it is our obligation and our duty and one that we take very seriously to attend to them during those times. Um, the proposed alternative that the administration has said is that they would stock the, uh, the resident room with um, the night mail fridge with $25 worth of food a day. Uh, the last time I checked what was in the resident fridge, it was packets of grape jam, tartar sauce, and a five-day-old sandwich, which is not adequate nutrition for the bulk of the residents who would be here overnight or who have missed meals during the day because they're providing <coughs> critical patient care. Um, another issue that we're struggling with is our education fund. One of our missions here is not only to provide excellent patient care, but also to uh, get an excellent education. Uh, we currently receive an educational stipend at um, uh, $1,700 a year. 
Our peers at other institutions get more. UCSF gets $2,400 in educational allowance. And the current administration proposal is to reduce that number to $1,200. Um, unlike other academic institutions, we don't have institutional-wide easy access to some standard journals. And we use this uh, money not only to provide ourselves with educational materials such as books and study, um, study banks of questions, but also sometimes to buy hospital equipment that is lacking, like ophthalmoscopes and trauma shears. Uh, there are no ophthalmoscopes available in ACT um, when you get above the fourth floor. So these are just some of the issues that we're working with. The last of which is the, the patient care fund, which historically has been used um, by residents to make purchases um, that can be used for patient care. Um, for example, this past year, a request was made to make earplugs, eye masks, prevent delirium in patients in the emergency room. In the past, it, it's been purchased on um, the iStat machine. Um, it's kind of a life-saving device um, in, the, in the emergency room. Um, and that's kind of what those funds have been used for, um, to kind of fill in the gaps that uh, sometimes in a safety net hospital um, we might not have to bring us up to standard of care, um, even in purchasing ultrasounds. Um, and it's been proposed that that patient care fund be eliminated um, in its entirety. Uh, and there hasn't been a proposal as to where funds would come from to purchase ne other necessary items. Thank you for sharing that with us. <coughs> yeah, really appreciate it. Okay. Um, so I'm going to do something a little unconventional right now. Um, so I hope my board members will bear with me. Um, we have some more public comment, but I think it's all for LMF1. Um, I just want to deal with F1 right now. Um, we've got a lot of doctors in the room, and it's all about the doctors, so we're going to do that. So we're going to move right to F1 on the agenda, um, and then we will move back to the top of the agenda. Um, and I just hope that my fellow board members have had the opportunity to read the packet and to read what was presented um, by, by, our, by our team. Um, and Dr. Jamaluddin, before you speak, since we've all read your memo very carefully, um, and we've all read, I hope, the um, February 7th um, memorandum of agreement that was presented by Dr. Pernia to Oak Care. I, um, I just want to start there, and I have a, some thoughts that I'd like to share. Oh, I'm sorry. Dr. Bicket, you need to leave the room. Yes, I'm a member of Oak Care, so I recuse myself from this discussion. Yeah, I'm sorry. Please, someone try to call me back next time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to remember to do that. Rana, will you um, So, I, um, I think that the, the packet, the memo, there's, there's a little bit more to the story. And so, um, I believe that AHP and OCARE um, have, have been in negotiations over the past few months, um, and I think those negotiations have gotten the parties very close together, and I believe there's broad agreement on the pr principles of a doctor-led organization that is appointed by and granted authority by the Board of Trustees. Now, I think an organization such as this could serve to further our mission, our mission, to provide the best health care possible for residents of Alameda County in a manner that is transparent, publicly accountable, and also inspired by the wisdom of our providers in partnership with the dedicated administ administrative team that leads the organization. 
I believe the concept of AHP was meant to meet that objective, but the launching of AHP came at a tumultuous time for AHS during various leadership changes and vacancies, and this stunted its initial development and created hurdles, including its administrative capacity, uh, and those hurdles gave oak care providers huge concern about its potential. I think this created governance concerns and trust issues. Uh, I think those trust issues are what the oak care doctors brought to the table when the Coke were negotiating a potential merger of these organizations. Uh, conversely, I want to honor uh, the work of our administrative leaders, most of whom were not here when AHP was creative, and, and they feel an understandable sense of urgency in moving this process forward. They've set deadlines that may seem arbitrary to our doctors, but in reality are based on the wisdom of the administrators, understanding that how long it takes to make changes in a complex bureaucracy. I really want to make sure that I'm clear. I have heard the concern of trust and governance from our doctors, and I have heard the concern and fear of our administrators. And I think you're all very, very right. So we're at a critical moment. Um, I think the administration made its final best offer earlier this month on February 7th that they thought Oak Care was rejecting. I truly believe that Oak Care did not believe that they were rejecting that offer, but that they were asking clarifying questions, and it appeared that they wished to continue to negotiate, um, and they, they didn't realize it was a final offer. Um, I'm proposing tonight, uh, we can let the comments and commentary happen, but I'm proposing tonight uh, that the AHS uh, uh, board appoint two of its members to facilitate a meeting of the AHP and Oak Care principals to take place in the next seven days to allow for dialogue, not negotiation, but dialogue about the memorandum of agreement that is included in our packet. And then no later than March 10th, 10 days from today, that the Oak Care doctors have an up and down vote on that document. Um, and I think you can get it done. I really think you can get it done. Um, if Oak Care votes in favor of that document, I recommend that the, the, those two board members serve in an ad hoc advisory committee that asks Dr. Noha and Trustee Hernandez to serve as those two members, that that become, uh, that they continue to facilitate that ad hoc group to go through the more detailed points of the memorandum of agreement that need to be hashed out over the next five or six months before the end of the calendar year. Uh, and so that that group can continue to meet. But while that group meets, our administrators will know that they have a, a written, voted on agreement from Oak Care that those doctors will join AHP, and you can name it whatever you want, and we're going to work to serve the residents of Alameda County. We're going to keep our chairs in their positions, and we're going to keep our doctors doing what they do for this organization. If that vote is a no vote in the next 10 days, I beg of Oak Care to release its doctors from their contractual obligations so they can actually apply to keep the jobs that they already have, and that you release AHP from its contractual obligation to not recruit those doctors. Because if this doesn't work, this system still needs to work for the people of Alameda County. So that's the proposal that I'm putting forward right now. Uh, I'd be happy to take doctors' public comment. I'll be happy to hear from our administrators, and I especially want to hear from my fellow trustees and see if I have support for this motion. And I'll start with our, um, well, I guess I'll start with our, speak, our speakers and then we we'll move to staff and the board, okay? So, sure, sure. First of all, thank you <coughs> for your leadership on this. And I, I, I just wonder if 
what we can do in terms of an action that wasn't specifically described uh, provided through the Brown Act in you know, a posting. I just want to get clarity on that for sure. I'm going to ask our lawyer to be willing to be very so flexible here. Well, I. I <laughs> Uh, okay, so I've been over backwards, as I can. Um, you know, because I don't really think that there's a whole lot of flexibility here. This is on the agenda as a report in discussion item. Uh, the report by AHP is, um, you know, back to the board. Uh, you know, I think that it is, you know, fine for the board to, you know, express or react to the report that was provided by uh, AHP, um, and I don't think that there's any issue of AHP having, you know, exceeded its authority in the report that is given back to the board. Um, so some action by this board is not on the agenda for this evening. It's really a question of discussion and then, you know, perhaps requests being made, you know, to AHP on a going forward basis, but it's not a direction of this board to do something particular, if you will. Do I have the right as the president of the Board of Trustees to create an ad hoc community, uh, committee at any particular time for a particular issue under the Brown Act, Mike? Uh, yeah, I think it's been our you know, practice that that, um, you know, the appointment of those committees, because they're not Brown Act bodies per se, even though they're covered by. So you can certainly appoint a committee and encourage that committee, you know, to work with AHP and see where that goes. Do I need a motion from my board to be approved to create an ad hoc committee? No. Okay. So consider it created. Dr. Noha, Dr. <laughs> Trustee Hernandez, do you need to be in the hall to serve in that role? Yes. Okay. So whether AHP agrees and okay agrees to join that ad hoc committee is a decision that's outside of my authority. Uh, but we're ready and waiting. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you. Um, I will ask for a straw poll from my from my fellow trustees if they think this is a good direction. Commentary. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Can I hear? Oh. And what is the punishment for doing something that's not in the Brown Act? <laughs> well, it's a it's a violation of the law, and I I'd like to think that we're a law-abiding organization in the first instance. Okay. Uh, and then, be any action that's you know taken by a body you know that you know essentially constitutes a violation of the Brown Act is null and void. So it has no no legal effect certainly and actually could ultimately have no practical effect. Okay. So with that, we've got some public speakers. Uh, Dr. Savio, uh, Dr. Nelson, uh, and Dr. Hearn. Um, I think that's it. If there's anyone I missed, um, please um, feel free to let us know. Get your speaker card to Ron and to me. Before I begin, thank you, Trustee DeVries, and okay, I would be very excited to be involved in this ad hoc committee, and I appreciate the movement on the board. Thank you. I'm Bob Savio, a pediatrician and current president of Oak Hill Medical Group. Last time I was here, we were side-by-side -side with Nick Perney back in November when we presented a model of unification of our medical groups. And I'll just read a letter that we sent to Mr. DeVries. Thank you for meeting with a group of us about a month ago, actually a month ago today. Dear Mr. Billings, for the last 14 months, the physician leaders of AHP and OCARE have worked diligently to find a solution and a path to merge the respective medical groups into one large medical group of physicians to serve Alameda Health System. This work has taken us through multiple iterations in terms of methodology and final structure, 
for such a future model. Back in November, we presented a for-profit medical group with enthusiasm but found that we were not able to address several requirements requested by the Board of Trustees, including reporting structure and conflict of interest. Our respective parties returned to the drawing board and explored several different solutions to this challenge, still ensuring that future medical group will remain physician-governed with the required reporting structure and addressing conflict of interest. After due consideration, we concluded that a nonprofit wholly owned subsidiary model offers the best solution to this challenge. We're now very close to determining the final details of this new group and how it will function and have drafted preliminary bylaws for the new organization. Considerable progress has been made over the last few weeks and we feel confident that we're able to move a solution forward. Most importantly, it will grant us a means of balanced governance that is needed to provide the highest level of care for our patients. This plan does not represent a significant departure from the original plan put forth by the Board of Trustees. It does differ in a few key provisions that are not expected to materially impact the needs of AHS, but remain important for physician engagement and management. We've carefully formed this consensus work group in order to truly represent the larger physician voice within our system while we take into consideration the delicate needs of AHS as a whole. This was drafted by Nick Pernia, co-signed by myself, signed by current Chief of Staff Kelly Ballard, immediate past Chief of Staff Jean Hearn, who is an Oak Hill provider, Swap Shaw, who is on the AHP board, and Rachel Baden, Chairman Minister. AHP recently provided OCARE MOA proposal on the 7th, and we responded with a redline counter proposal two weeks ago, as encouraged by AHP President Nick Pernia. Major concessions from both sides have been agreed upon. Our OCARE board has voted to commit to this path, and there is eagerness to hammer out the details. Unfortunately, the AHP, AHP board led a response to our OCARE from last Friday brings us to today. We forwarded that memorandum and our board's response to you for transparency. I'm saddened to see the misrepresentation of OCARE's commitment to the unification in your board packet tonight and AHP's unilateral termination of negotiations when we are so close. Thanks. Thank you. Good evening, Todd President. My name is Jamin, former Chief of Staff, uh, representing the over 800 members of the medical staff here. Um, and for disclosure, I'm also employed at OCA, having for the last 19 years studied my training here in 1996. I'm running to, to correct a couple of statements that are in the board packet that I think are important. Uh, if you please pay, turn to page 167 of your board packet, um, there's a memo there that actually has some factual inconsistencies, which I think, uh, I, I think are important. Paragraph three on the first page, page states that OMG presented its concept for for-profit entity to exist alongside HP. The next sentence states HP advised that although some progress had occurred, the arrangement proposed by OMG was not acceptable. However, you all have board effects up. If you look back in November, in your November packet on page 222, there are the slides of the joint presentation. So I find it it's strange that it was delivered as an OMG or an OCARE presentation, but in fact it was a joint presentation. Nick and Bob sat in, this, in, this, uh, in these two seats. There was consensus between both groups to present this proposal. I know because I, as president of the medical staff, saw many drafts from both presidents leading up to that meeting the prior week. There was no advisement by HP that it was unacceptable at that time. The quicker literally went back and forth between the two of them. The next sentence, discussion between before the Board of Trustees highlighted the fact that OMG's position is not tenable. The model proposed, however, was a joint presentation from both parties. 
Um, in the weeks leading up to it, the CMO, Dr. Jamali, made reference to the breakthrough in a joint model at our chairs huddle, describing his experience with PAGNI in the public service model in New York City. PAGNI stands for the Physician Affiliate Group of New York. It is a private corporation with 2,500 physicians who work in public hospitals in New York City. No one else had experience with this model or group before, so the fact that it was highlighted as a positive role model gave all parties reassurance. To call the conclusion not tenable seems disingenuous. There was, however, discussion amongst the Board of Trustees at that meeting about the for-profit model and not-for-profit not and what the appropriate model is, and I acknowledge those are interesting discussions, and they asked for further clarification. Um, in the next page, paragraph one, reports that AHP reported to the Board of Trustees that the discussions with OMG had not progressed to the point of a likely agreement. If the President and AHP board members felt that an agreement was not within reach, then why did they, two days later, spend an entire Saturday at my house with two members of the York Care Board and the current Chief of Staff, Dr. Kelly Lowe, and myself, the immediate past Chief of Staff, creating draft bylaws, a board structure that was there was unanimous agreement upon by those six people. It is curious that the tone of the rest of the memorandum and painting OMG as inflexible and overly demanding when in the subsequent proposals, OMG went from the for-profit physician model to a non-profit group with community board members, etc. Until the last meeting, the discussions between the negotiating group and the AHP president seemed very positive, upbeat even. There were lots of thumbs-up signs via text, etc. It worries me that the AHP president was not was there, but without the negotiating power to get his board to agree to terms. The Oak side passed the consensus agreement unanimously. Up to the last meeting, we were optimistic, uh, we were upbeat, we were collaborative, we were encouraged, uh, but something happened. No, no one knows exactly what, but the result of the last AHP board meeting was that the hard work that the groups had put in, countless hours, was not enough to prevent the potential destruction of our departments and the potential loss of morale, increased burnout, and yes, degradation of quality. Um, I think that the, there will be challenges if, uh, if these talks break down. Uh, Mr. Dries, I appreciate your leadership and your vision. I think you have articulated the challenges uh, and, the, and the, the, the challenges and the perspectives of both sides well. Um, and I think that this is, a, this is a great way to move forward. In closing, I, I have to say something from my own personal experience, however. Um, I was, um, as a former National Program Director of the Year, I have to provide some context to wholesale changing of personnel and departments with training programs. In 2017, there was, a, there was a health system in Ohio called the SUMA Health System. They uh, revoked the Emergency Medicine Department's uh, ACGME accreditation, which is the American Council on Graduate Medical Education, because of uh, an abrupt physician staffing change. Negotiations had failed between the health system and uh, the emergency associates, the group that had staffed the ED there for over 40 years. This which resulted in, the up, in a tremendous upheaval, including the resignation of then-CEO Dr. Malone within weeks after hundreds of doctors voted no confidence in his leadership. The demise of the emergency medicine residency program there um, meant that 21 trainees had to find new programs. We have 50 emergency residents. We have uh, about 70 internal medicine residents. Um, this is a tremendous challenge if there is such upheaval. Um, and as a former program director, it is near and dear to my heart. Um, we've been training residents here at Highland for almost 100 years, um, and it's incredibly important. And I really, I hope and I pray that this unification process will continue, um, and I look forward to the future. Thank you. Thank you. Nick uh, Nelson? No, oh, there you are. Sorry. 
So my name is Nick Nelson. Uh, I've worked at Highland for a decade. I direct the primary care residency program and the human rights clinic whose work I had the privilege to present at QPSC last month. Um, I thank you for the opportunity to share my perspective as well. I am employed by a physician group that happens to be called OCARE, but I came here to serve Oakland. Most of my colleagues here are also employed by OCARE, but what all of us really are is Alameda Health System. We were caring for the people of Alameda County before the group was called OCARE. We were caring for them before there was a group. Four of my mentors in the Department of Medicine, Judy Rossi, Lynn Berry, Colin Feeney, and Steve Sacron, were taking care of patients in this hospital in February of 1981 when I was born. <laughs> our OHS doctors, whoever we get our paychecks from, are here because we're called to be. We've all passed on the pay, prestige, and power of other settings for the honor and privilege of serving the members of our community who need us the most. What made us an effective group before we currently existed in now, a group that provides gold standard patient care that has built nationally recognized residency programs that produces field-changing scholarship and that can respond efficiently to crises like the urgent need to staff the emergency departments of San Leandro and Alameda is governance of our clinical work. AHS doctors don't care if we have a for-profit or a non-profit tax ID, we don't care what our group is called, what we care about is clinician governance of clinical work, and we care about that because it's how we provide the standard of care that we would expect for our family members to the patients in Alameda County. Our unification meetings where our fellow AHS doctors and OHP have been positive and productive. We all agree that what we want is a unified medical group governed by physicians from this hospital and this community, which will be directly responsible to this board for providing excellent care to the people of this county and partner on equal terms with the executive leadership of AHS. And there's little left to resolve. In response to this consensus among AHS doctors, the AHP board unilaterally canceled all future unification meetings and issued a memorandum stating that they plan to recruit for all of our positions beginning with our leaders. I wasn't at that vote, but I cannot believe that the physician members of the AHP board who I sat across the table from during those unification meetings voted for this plan. AHS doctors are committed to a unified medical group and we want to get this done now. We're 90% of the way there and we're confident that working with our friends and colleagues in AHP, we can get to the finish line quickly, but we cannot be bullied across it by the executive leadership of AHS, nor intimidated into joining a physician organization which, as it's currently structured, can never be led by physicians. The people around the county deserve a medical group which is unified, transparent, accountable, and run by doctors who live and work here. That's the only thing that the doctors of AHS want, and we can't wait to get back to the table. Thank you. Um, I just want to thank you for your comments, and I just want to reiterate that we are at the end of needing something in writing, understanding that there will be, through the end of the calendar year, some details that have to be worked out, but the administration, or AHS needs to know that we're going to have these doctors here. And, and so this negotiation is holding up that process. I just really want to make that clear. The deadlines, while seemingly arbitrary, were are, are really, really of cons great concern to the administration. I, I work in another bureaucracy where it takes us eight months to hire someone. It, administration is is hard. We're not as smart as doctors. We haven't been in schools long. Uh, bureaucracies are, are difficult. They're like steering a ship. So I, I'm really clear about this. Like this. This um, memorandum of, of agreement is, is what we've got. And then I want to have everyone talk about it, but I, I, we, need, uh, we need a vote in writing, a commitment, in order to move forward. Um, and with that, I'll, I'll kind of shut up. I do um, want to give Dr. Ballard the opportunity to speak as we spoke. And you're, you're an innocent bystander because you're not part of Oak Care or HP, and I, I really would like some of your thoughts on this, and then, of course, I want to let Dr. Jamaldi and the administration um, answer any questions the trustees have. 
So I've been here a decade and a half, and I have to say that the events of the past five days have discouraged me more than pretty much anything I've seen in the last 15 years. And the reason it has discouraged me is because I've watched this place evolve from a really disorganized, ungoverned group of caregivers who were flying by the sea of their pants and using the biggest hearts on the planet to take care of patients in the setting when it was next to impossible to do so with very little leadership. I don't know if any of you remember Cambio. Yeah. And I started to work here and I asked, well, who's the administration? And I heard it was some group called Cambio and my brain just couldn't wrap around it. And then there was the sequence of revolving door executives that follow. I'm so grateful that Mr. Finley's here and that Mr. Lasseter managed to stay more than a year. Um, that being said, I feel like in the last three years particularly, possibly five, we have somehow managed to bring the best and the brightest young leaders into this institution. And a lot of people told me, and I told this story at a board retreat last year, when I tried to convince my mentors why I wanted to come to Highlander work, and they were like, what are you thinking? We've got a job offer at Mass General. Why in the hell would we want to be in Oakland? And I said, I don't know. It just feels like the stars are going to align over there. I just get this feeling. It took 15 years for the stars to align, but the last three years, I am absolutely convinced the stars are aligned. We've got leaders in every department chair who have either got the, the experience of many decades and are still forward thinking, coupling and partnering with people who are in the mid or early middle of their career who are literally revolutionary in their thinking and committed to a degree that those of us who have been here 15 years understand. And for something, for anything, to start to deconstruct what we've put together in the last handful of years and the bright future that stands before us with those individuals, to me, is inexcusable. So I'm not a big contract kind of person. I can take out an appendix, but I'm not much good when it comes to big negotiations and contracts. I don't have the patience for it. I can say that no matter what it takes to get this unification accomplished in a way that we do not lose this group of people we've managed to luckily put together is what we have to do. And I definitely understand meeting those time requirements. I even chastised a few people about just thinking sign on the bottom line and just figure this out after the fact. And that's probably not the right answer. But I'm like, whatever it takes to make sure that we keep moving forward and everybody feels secure in this process. And I want our executives to feel secure. Because I think we put together a pretty good group of those guys do. You know? And I think if we can just get the model to go from this, which is what has been for a long time, to this, with you folks up there, as the connection and the, the overseeing body, of two groups that are working in a true dyad, we can build a system that everybody in the country wants to work at. 
and that takes care of patients better than the Mayo Clinic, and that would be like my wish that we can kind of be better than the Mayo Clinic. So my mentors can say, wow, you were right, <laughs> 15 years ago. So that's, that's Thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll open it up to our administration and uh, to our board. So uh, I, I want to talk, uh, try to stay within three minutes if I can. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's good to remind everyone in this room that we are here by choice. And uh, I came uh, from New York City by choice. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the physician body of this uh, organization, uh, you know, attracted me. So did my boss, uh, not the financial part. My family liked the climate, and uh, we were looking for a change. So, uh, so uh, I, I just want to make th this clear. Uh, so, just uh, I, I need to talk into two aspects: one as uh, the CMO, and then two as the chair of Alameda Health Partners. And I should be careful because uh, I I just represent Alameda Health Partners as 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 a chair, mm -hmm. and uh, the president is is not here right now. Uh, you know, when I came here, I was faced with. Uh, I, huge task that uh, I learned a great deal from it, which is uh, getting the OCARE contract out. And I came to this board and asked for uh, uh, for an extension, and I couldn't finish it. And then I did another extension. And uh, I had, uh, you know, a, a great collegial uh, relationship with OCARE members. And in addition, as a CMO, I can say that, uh, you know, all of them have had very, very good relation with them. I have also taken care of patients with them. I, I, I call them, it's, uh, you know, I can't, I can't differentiate between OCARE and HP, but with time you start to, 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 to see the difference, like who is HP, but there's not much difference, that's what I want to say. So at all levels, uh, as, as, as a CMO, as a physician, uh, as a mentor for them, I haven't had any problem. I enjoy my work here and I, I want to continue to enjoy. And also as a patient, I can tell you that I enjoy being a patient cared by a care physician. So I want to put this off, uh, off the table. Uh, the second which I want to talk as a HP chair, the negotiation have been going on for uh, more than few months. It's 18 months now, it's about 20 months. And uh, the AHP board has only a memorandum of understanding which is signed uh, at the time of the execution of the contract that says exploring the path towards unification. Mm -hmm. So uh, about six, seven months ago, I appealed for everybody, let's put our positions on the side and talk about our interests. And something was very clear at that time, that our interests are unified. It was very, very unified. And it was very clear that none of the interests of the physicians really uh, cannot be achieved within the UHP structure. That was very clear. And our values are, are the same, and our mission are the same, and again, our choice is to be here. So uh, that was very, very revealing. So uh, I, I called to, to, to come up with a proposal, and then the for-profit proposal came about, and then it was withdrawn. But then there was a proposal about uh, like major structural changes, 
uh, uh, within the EHP, like changing the name. And uh, I personally do not see what is the point of changing the name. Uh, well, I have a very funny name in America. No one asked me to change my name. No one. So, but okay, we accepted to change the name. And then to change the members of the EHP board, and again, uh, you know, as I have been trying in my mission to bring together the administration and the physicians, taking the administrators off the board, uh, I could not see the point of doing that. And especially, you know, I have learned more about OCARE and I have learned more about AHP. We really need to have strong finance people. We really need to have strong operational people. We have not built like uh, what we call a revenue cycle, a profit, uh, improvement or profit uh, uh, optimization structure. So we really need this component. Uh, uh, I know we are very good clinicians and we are dedicated, hard-working clinicians, but we really need this component. So I, 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 you know, and the board approved these changes and, let's, and said, let's, let's move on, but let's get everything off the table. Let's have a signature. Because after 18, 19 months, we are putting this organization at risk. We really need to have something signed and then move on. Uh, the, the, the concept of time as a physician sometimes uh, becomes uh, difficult to appreciate. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like when you're playing basketball, you know, the three minutes can be extended to three hours and vice versa, three hours can become three minutes. But here the concept of time is becoming extremely important. So uh, so I, I just want to, to, to really look at the interest. And, uh, you know, Nelson Mandela was put in prison in jail for 27 years. He came out and uh, he had a very, very good quote that I like to, to say. And what he said, he said resentment is like drinking poison and thinking you are poisoning your enemy. We do not have enemy here, but we cannot continue with resentment. The past is past. We have to think for the future. So that's my appeal. So uh, President DeVries, I appreciate your proposal. Uh, I will uh, certainly uh, ask the HP board to consider it and come up you know, with an answer very soon. Uh, so with that, I just, this is my, my only comment. Thank you. Anyone else? No? I'll, I'll, I didn't intend to speak, uh, but That's fine. You don't I, have to. I can't help myself. Uh, no, I probably shouldn't in the inches of time, but, but I do, uh, you know, I think the, the gravity of the moment probably uh, requires that I do. Um, just for a point of clar to start a point of clarification, um, I think it is often, still unfortunately, construed uh, that, um, that AHP is AHS and they are one and the same. We are sister entities um, and when there are decisions, certainly there is representation on the AHP board for AHP administrators along with the providers and the clinical leadership both internal and external to uh, the organization. When there are reflections or comments or positions that are taken by AHP, it's dangerous to conflate them to uh, to an administrative decision because it's not. Um, uh, you know, I, I currently sit on the AHP board, um, uh, but I am not there 
when I'm there, I'm wearing the fiduciary hat of trying to think about what's in the best interest of, of AHP. And when I'm there, I'm but one of several board members who uh, um, uh, opine about what is the direction of AHP. So I just think it's important to, to make sure that's clear and that, that sort of underscores the point that Dr. Jamal Dean is making about the uh, what, what we understand, and I believe it's fair to say uh, uh, for the AHP board, is the inherent value of that, that uh, uh, relationship. Uh, there is indeed, to be clear, a lot of work that AHP still has to do beyond even what we're talking about here. Uh, the work to really completely stand the organization up and optimize the, the, the opportunities, not just on the revenue side, but on the expense management side, on esprit building, on quality uh, um, uh, leadership and all that stuff that, that has been forestalled for quite some time now as uh, the group has prioritized its uh, interactions with this one major and important uh, um, aspect of our medical staff to, to try to um, reach some, um, um, some amicable path forward. Um, I, as you all know, stepped out of the, the uh, active uh, discussions because I was concerned that my presence was fairly or unfairly being uh, construed as an undue influence on, on the group and, uh, and respect uh, and appreciate all the providers who have gotten us to where we are right now. Uh, I am immensely hopeful uh, that, that we can move forward and move forward together under whatever construct that is. And I appreciate you uh, um, underscoring the point that you know we have to move forward. Uh, and I don't think that there's anything about uh, what AHP put forward uh, that in and of itself uh, um, uh, suggested that the path forward had to be a solo path forward, uh, meaning you know that that it excluded anybody who who wanted to be a part of it. And I hope that if there is a more um, collaborative path forward too, that that can come to pass. But if, if there isn't, as you articulated, that that can still uh, also come to pass. So I will uh, just end my remarks by saying when I when I first, with your support, uh, joined the organization, one of the major things that was abundantly clear to me, uh, made clear to me through the uh, interview process was that there was this uh, really strong fracture between the uh, medical leadership uh, and the administrative leadership for the organization. And it's been my one of my uh, strongest goals with your insistence over the last couple of years to build that bridge. Put more physicians in leadership uh, roles, administrative leadership roles, as well as clinical leadership roles, and to try to uh, broker uh, relationships where um, the, the providers felt as equally invested in and uh, uh, have a shape in the direction of the organization uh, as, as the administrative leaders. And that's where our strength lies. And I, I would echo the sentiments of uh, a lot of folks who have spoken this evening. So, so I would just say it's refreshing to me that we are, I think, this is a sign that we're there. You know, this is not a sign that we are, uh, we are, we are broken or gone, I don't think. I think now you hear voices that perhaps didn't feel empowered to speak up before. You hear voices that you recognize that when you say medical staff, even when you say administration, that's not a monolith that there are doctors who have a perspective that is different from other doctors, and so we shouldn't actually uh, uh, be too cavalier about suggesting that as well. So I love that this is uh, happening because whether it's you know with or without me, uh, uh, I feel like the organization will be stronger as a result of it. And I truly do hope that we can come up with, with uh, this board's guidance and support, a path forward that, that further enables that. So I thank you for that. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I, this, this partnership has to work. 
Absolutely, and we know that we are so, so close, like when we came in January, it just seemed like, yes, we are there, and I think that having a scenario where you can have um, uh, the board as dedicated to making this work, uh, this is a, such a big year for us with EPIC, and we can see, we need to see you in the roles that you are in right now. So I hope that you know these next 10 days will be really productive, and that we will um, all work together because we are, we do have the same mission, and I know that you know that that it's how we get there, and there's lots that we we know that in the months coming there, those details will be worked out. So we hope that that trust that seems um, to be eroded right now, and it's we have to speak about that. Yes, that is that's so true. Is that 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 we would you would all continue to rebuild that and know that the administration, the board, and you all, we just really need to make this work. Thank you. Please. I think it's really important to remember that um, there are good people in this conversation. I hear it in the public testimony, I hear it from staff, I hear it from the leadership on the board of trustees, and I also hear there's fear about uh, change, and um, I think it's important to, um, the, the moment's come, you gotta, you gotta take an action. And uh, we're not going to tell you what that action is going to be. That's not what the Board of Trustees is uh, going to do. But we are going to ask you to take action. And in order to do that, you're going to have to build some common trust quickly. And I can speak only for myself. I am uh, deeply committed to seeing you do that because everything this system is about relies on us working together. Thank you. I, I just, uh, thank you. Uh, I, I just uh, want to stress this point that, uh, you know, in healthcare right now, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, I mean, when I drove this morning on the highway, I don't know, I might get into a car accident. No one is going to guarantee for me that I'm not going to get in a car accident. And the same thing will happen tomorrow when I give a prescription to my patients. I don't know if my patients will get a reaction, but I have to do the best I can. Thus, as doctor, you know, we work by trust and faith. That's what we depend on every single minute. And that's what I'm calling for. You know, there is really little guarantee that we have. So I really appreciate bringing up this point. And we need to have trust and faith first and foremost with each other. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much, everyone, for those comments. I just want to add that um, the path forward will have to involve some level of compromise. And if you don't compromise, then everything is lost. And so the most important path forward is to look for common ground, what you most want to achieve and allow for the most 
energetic and creative individuals to come together and suggest ideas to move that path forward. But if we're walking into this thinking that it's all going to go one way or the other, um, that is the kiss of death. Um, I, I think, you know, one of my favorite philosophers is Dilbert, and there's a cartoon where he says, change is good for you. You go first. And the first to make the possible offer of some other path forward often is seen as, what's wrong with that person? You know, they must be crazy. Nobody thinks like that. And yet, if we don't allow for that kind of creativity in this journey, I don't think that we'll come up with a solution. So that journey is one of compromise. And never, ever forget the values that we stand for as part of this institution. That has to come first. That has to come first. So um, I welcome the opportunity to work with all of the players and to support the work ahead. Um, let me know what I can do. Okay. Thank you. Unless anyone else has anything to say, I think we're done with this item. I'm really going to be holding my breath for the next 10 days. Um, and um, I trust that the um, administration will help the principals get together with the two trustees that have agreed to facilitate the meeting. And I trust that the leadership of AHP and OCARE that are in the room can help to lead their fellow voting members to, to see the, 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 the opportunity that we have here that we've, we've brought back to life. And um, with that, I guess we go back to the beginning of the agenda. Um, thank you, everybody. Um, uh, so what is the beginning of the agenda? Um, medical staff reports. Here we go. So um, shall we take them in order? Yeah. yeah? I think uh, Dr. Ballard, are you? <laughs> and I'm going to grab some food while you start. That's okay. Oh, and somebody get Taft. <laughs>
has been uh, uh, resolved uh, essentially any cardiology issues of uh, coverage during the weekends uh, and uh, uh, transfer process uh, from uh, uh, Highland to, to uh, Alameda Hospital, especially doing after uh, five or six o'clock at night uh, is causing some strains and that's being uh, uh, resolved with extra personnel uh, and uh, extra physicians uh, for inpatient uh, medical group, uh, which uh, uh, has been uh, kindly uh, enacted upon. Uh, uh, also, uh, we've approved uh, the residency uh, revision uh, to allow residents uh, in uh, Alameda Hospital to practice and define their scope of practice according to uh, general medical, the medical, graduate medical education and all the Joint Commission guidelines uh, and as well as uh, and we've uh, uh, defined the scope of practice at, at Alameda Hospital. Uh, those were the, the major issues. Thank you. And I know most of the board heard you already. This is, this is the second show. Um, so I don't know if other members have questions. Uh, for the three of us that weren't here. Um, but uh, thank you, Dr. Morgan. Uh, I'll go next. So for San Leandro Hospital, um, you have the, the document in front of you, the credential and privileges uh, were recommended and approved. The uh, professional services contracting issue um, uh, a concern of the AMC was a lack of a Blue Cross contract, which has impacted elective orthopedic coverage, and hopefully that will be uh, worked on and resolved and uh, discussed further at the next meeting. Um, the anesthesiology services, we, there were some concerns about the transition. Um, Chief of Surgery and myself did have a meeting with the anesthesia group, and that uh, proved very uh, fruitful, and I think that uh, a good plan forward for the transition has been uh, suggested, um, and so we're comfortable. I think all parties are comfortable thus far. We'll see. We uh, Part of the initial appointments in five of those eight were anesthesiologists from the Highland campus. Um, the uh, quality and outcome treatment measures are there, and you can see those. They're reasonable. Um, the, uh, the one concern that was brought up was at the epic transition that the uh, quality, especially patient uh, uh, reviews um, would degrade significantly that you've seen that happen at other locations because of the lack of attention perhaps, uh, as much attention to uh, care and more to the epic system working appropriately. So uh, encouraged increase staffing if possible. Um, San Leandro was awarded the certificate uh, valid through 2021. It's a good achievement. Um, and the approval of a 5150-hole facility was uh, very uh, gladly embraced by the emergency department to help flow through that facility. Both here, I think, and Alameda, that's been approved. The emergency department highlighted some issues uh, related to um, 
bed availability, and I think that hopefully will be addressed further. Um, the staffing, there was kind of a perfect storm of uh, staffing changes um, with the blue season in December and the lack of beds uh, because of construction on the third and fourth floors that, that caused some issues um, and still do uh, with uh, long-term borders in the emergency department. Um, and there hopefully will be some strategies soon. Medical staff leadership meetings have been ongoing. There have been some very significant disagreements as to representation um, from the San Leandro uh, campus there. And I can expand on that in more detail if I did in detail at the GPSC. Um, and hopefully we can continue to discuss this to come to a meeting of the minds what is felt to be appropriate um, in terms of voting members from the San Leandro campus on the uh, combined medical staff. But that is not resolved. <clears throat> My understanding that uh, currently um, the, the, the proposal on the table is for, for your staff to have two voting members and one non-voting member, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And um, if you look at the proportionality of that, uh, I hope that that's what's being considered in terms of the entire system. Uh, in terms of the proportionality of the number of doctors being represented, you know, through, through your group and you know, that's, that's coming on board, um, that, it, that it's fair and that you're able to reach resolution. And, and I'm sure if you want to talk more about that, I, I know three of us weren't here earlier. I imagine you guys talked about it a bit, so maybe you're all cursing me for bringing it back up, but... Um, no, it was an important dialogue. Okay, and, and, and it would be nice if that transition to the full board so they could understand the context, because yeah. more than three. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, great. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just know this is an issue. Would you like me to expound for you? Sure. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is the, tonight's about doctors. I, I can. So, um, <laughs> well, the, initial, the initial offer to us was one voting member. Um, and however you slice uh, a complete um, medical staff, uh, whether it's active staff, total staff, about 800 to 350, but realistically, it's probably 500 active here and maybe 100 there in that range. Um, so the, the current complement is 25 members here at MEC. Our suggestion was five or one fifth, if you go by those numbers. Um, having divisions of surgery, medicine, and emergency department, and then chief staff and vice chief of staff are the equivalent name for that. The initial offer was one. Um, which did not go over well that way, uh, to say the least. Um, and so, uh, you know, our role is not to be adversarial. We want to be engaged, but we felt, and to quote the, the uh, chief of medicine, which I did earlier, um, the chief of medicine, you know, the, the different structure, I think, is, is the main issue. And that, that, that's probably worth a minute to discuss. We're, a lot of the campuses or the satellite locations have sort of large members and and then the chief of that division. For example, Fairmont. One physiatrist is the chief of Fairmont, and that person is a voting member, and then there's an at-large member from Fairmont, too. That's five positions, by the way, physiatrist. So, I'm sorry, is that at-large a voting member or a non-voting? We're only talking voting right now. Okay, yes. Um, and so, for full service, 
hospital where we don't have pediatrics, obstetrics, and neurosurgery. Um, we felt that it is reasonable to have each of those three divisions, which encompass all the specialties um, uh, represented, and, and encourage those people to come to the MEC and discuss the issues of that local campus um, and be more engaged and involved in that. Um, the, the point that I was, one of the, the chief of medicine, for example, who, by the way, is an Alameda Health Partners physician, um, he's a hospitalist, felt that it is not adequate to have the chief of medicine at Highland represent the internists at San Leandro. That's a position that doesn't practice at San Leandro and never will. So, so to say that that person can understand the differences in practice there with Highland uh, are difficult, and, and that that was one point made. Um, surgery you know, is, is, is a number of votes in the equivalent, so I, I don't need to go through all the details, but it was felt to be inadequate. And so hopefully we can come to something reasonable. And our goal, as even our proposal, which would be one-sixth in terms of numbers, not a voting block that would change dramatically anything, not that there are that many divisive issues that are discussed there. We feel very strongly this needs to be determined now. To, to say that, well, we'll do this and figure it out later doesn't work. Having been the chairman of bylaws committees in the past, it is very difficult to change bylaws once they're done. Very difficult. Um, and so that's why we're making an issue of this, of this now. Um, try to resolve this amicably. So. And there are other issues that are going to come up. I yeah, and your colleague sitting next to you is part of it as well, if you want to chime in. <laughs> well, obviously, I mean, she... So, no, I think we have... Okay, I'll give you my microphone. Oh, thanks. Well, Mr. Andy, I was called in the Alameda Hospital to assist my partner at midnight last night, so if I had word-finding issues... Um, <laughs> And so, okay. position wellness back to the center stage. It's still coming. <laughs> um, so, I, I think I followed in the footsteps of Dr. Hu, who started this process. And since January, there have been multiple conversations, both on the core hospital side and with Dr. Jenny. We actually went down to San Leandro on Tuesday evening and sat with the entire, or not the entire, but most of the leaders in the MedExec side for San Leandro to have a face-to-face -face conversation and to try to work through this. And I think we did reach a better understanding at that point. And subsequently, you know, I had further conversations with the folks here and said, you know, we're not quite as far as we wish we were. And so what we've done to further the process is we've asked Dr. Ingenue to come to our MedExec meeting this coming March and to present, you know, his perspective of why they feel this is important. And I'm hoping that by that process that you know, some of the department chairs that do have hundreds of people under them and yet only two votes can try to wrap their brain around why a group of a hundred or less um, is asking for five. 
and I think that's the biggest challenge. So uh, it's like I said Tuesday night, I feel pulled between two different groups because of my, you know, I have to support the members of the medexec in the core hospitals, but I also understand where San Diego is coming from, and I practice at San Diego, so I'm sort of wearing both hats. Um, anyway, the, um, the logistics and the math behind it get a little bit more um, confusing since two-thirds of the people practicing at San Leandro right now are already Highland physicians. Of the 350 people on the staff, on the med staff, 250 of them are already Highland physicians and have a voice through their department chairs here. And I think the one thing I tried to express in San Leandro Tuesday night was my junior partner in age, but senior partner in experience, Dr. Victorina, um, showed up as the Department of Surgery Chair at San Leandro for that meeting. And I can tell you, Dr. Victorina is pretty darn busy these days between UCSF and starting a new Department of Surgery as a fledgling chairman. And he showed up at 5.30 in the afternoon and could have been home with his family. So I, I use that example to say, you know, I really sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, feel that these chairs in the system will represent San Leandro. And I think, in my mind, our push for systemness really does require us to start having a system model that reflects, a, you know, departments across the, the, the group of hospitals, not just a department at the core that's sort of got a little mini-me department over another hospital. And so that's part of it is the map and at least the discussions from Highlands and the core side comes from is that our goal is to maintain a system model and to really integrate Sandy into the system proper and not have them be a separate entity. That being said, I am more than willing to support Dr. Ingenio in his cause to ask for more votes, for more voting seats. And I will have him come and talk to our NEC, and I will try to, to allow the NEC to have a, a very cogent discussion concerning what, what gets brought up, and maybe you know, maybe we can expand what we've offered so far. We have gone from one, the, the offer of one vote to two votes in a non-voting seat, and I feel confident that we probably can even push that a little, but I'm not sure how much within people's comfort level. And, I, and like I said, I feel really conflicted because I, I have to answer to both groups. And that's where we are. So Which will become much. one group. Hmm? Which will become one group. Hopefully. That, that would be my, my long-term hope, is that we could just all think of each other as part of a big system. Because I think that that's where you're going to deliver the best patient care, if we can get to that point. But we're not, I think it's, we've got a lot of discussions and understanding and proving to each other that we do consider all parts of the system as part of a, a, a larger whole. And it may, sh it may take some thinking goodwill on both sides. Thank you. Um, my <coughs> colleagues have any comments or questions on that? Um, I'll just say it, it reminds me of some of the dilemma faced in, in um, I know, in city government and in county government where you represent an entire 
area and you may represent certain disciplines but you also represent a constituency i know city council members struggle with this where they represent their district and their neighbors and and who they have to answer to at the grocery store the way i imagine a doctor has to answer to his department at, at his site but you also have to represent the entire system uh, and and appointments can be made based on um, issue expertise uh, or geography and even the board of supervisors is challenged with how they appoint our board in terms of us representing a particular district versus a particular um, uh, expertise such as finance or governance or, 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 or healthcare delivery and so um, aren't these leadership challenges fun um, yeah, so I, I really, again, um, will implore on you to, in the best interest, to keep keep working at it, and, and hopefully we'll get there. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I, I have a, I, I, at QPSC, we had this discussion. I'd ask the general counsel to help walk us through the math of the timeline of this decision. Mike, if you wouldn't mind re reviewing for us what you did not so nicely in QPSC. Yeah, so assuming that uh, the plan to uh, change the license effective November 1st occurs, the new medical staff needs to be in place at least 90 days before that date. So. <coughs> Excuse me, so essentially what we'd be talking about is having the new medical staff effective as of July 1st. In order for that to be effective as of July 1st, it would need uh, the uh, ratification of the new bylaws covering this medical staff would have to occur um, at some point prior to that. Uh, in order for the medical staff to ratify new bylaws changes, the board would need to approve new bylaws changes you know, for the core medical staff. So essentially, uh, the timeline we're looking at is that those bylaws changes will be presented to the board, um, you know, hopefully not later than the May meeting, which would then uh, give a period of approximately a little over a month for the ratification votes, such that we would be ready to go by July. First, so they have 10 days. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> I get it. So, we, we okay, I think that's a workable calendar for us. Okay, great. <laughs> Talk to him. Do you feel that as well? I hope so. Okay, <laughs> all right. All right, any other? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> a brief report. <laughs> So uh, we presented our credentialing was approved. Uh, we had no new policies to had new policies to um, approve this time. Uh, very briefly, the quality outcomes that we discussed in our last uh, MedExec included the true North metric data, uh, and I, you know, I think in QPSC I pretty much did everything other than hug Dr. Hussein for the work he's doing, and. Um, and I, and I will continue to do so because these dashboards and, and the direction we're taking with quality is, is unprecedented in our history. The um, Surge Red group is um, making really pretty slides that sort of reflect <laughs> what we're, we're managing to accomplish in real time. But I'm encouraged that so many people are working on it and committed to it. And I think that at some point we'll wake up and we'll have a real search program. That being said, um, the next challenge that we discussed was the Sapphire uh, implementation, which we're all getting very excited and nervous about. We're having trained the trainer and super users. Um, but I'm going to draw a cartoon of what that looks like for you guys next time. Um, the super users will have cape and big S's on their chest. 
the other issues, we had a very delightful presentation by Dr. Newmark, who has created an anesthesia department that I think everyone in Northern California is going to be envious of at some point. So those bright, shiny readers that I talked about earlier, he's one of them, and if he goes away, I will cry for a year. Solid as a surgeon who needs that kind of anesthesiologist at the top of my drape at all times. Um, the IRB also presented their data. They're, they're doing great work. They're actually going to go over to an electronic submission platform that all of us who do research are extremely excited about. And uh, last but not least, Dr. Hearn um, mentioned the, the idea of a representative at the executive level to represent wellness. And we also just put in a plug for Doctor's Day that's coming up, and we're going to try to make that a wellness event to go with it. So that concludes my report for the board. Thank you. <coughs> Did I hear that chair of anesthesiology is a real knockout. Sorry, I'm hilarious. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> tip, tip your waist. Uh, I've, I've said enough. So, my board president report, you, you heard enough from me. So, I'm, I mean, that's item B. I have nothing else to report, and uh, we'll turn it over to our CEO for his report, and, um, which we, which you got in writing. Thank you, and take it away. You are welcome, and uh, thank you for the um, oh, what? Uh oh. Supposed to be there. I'm messing it up. Um, I, in the interest of time, I will uh, actually. I have a, a couple of things here. You know what? I am really concerned that this is not the right version <laughs> of my presentation. It's not. I'm sorry. Um, Dave, I sent you one thing. Can I? Can? Yeah. Let me do this. I'm sorry. That's okay. Don't bring your stick drive. No. Let me just try to do this right now. Decided that there's going to be uh, or yeah, we're doing more. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, well, Josh, uh, I can do that. Doctor, committee reports from January 24, 2019, the QPSC. The QPSC uh, met as we always do, and uh, uh, following through each of the items, we approved the consent agenda, which were a number of policies and procedures. This also included a revision to the San Leandro Hospital medical staff bylaws that went without issue. Item C was our QPSC uh, chair discussion. I, uh, uh, my routine is to bring an article for discussion. The article we discussed at, on that day was a very interesting one-pager called The Challenger Disaster Teaches Leaders to Face the Brutal Facts of Reality. 
I kind of gave my reason rationale for it. I'm a, I'm a born and raised Texan. I grew up in Houston, and NASA has always fascinated me, kind of a treasure trove for leadership lessons. For those of you who don't know the Challenger story, uh, in on January 28, 1986, the, the space shuttle Challenger blew up. And what well, the interesting part of the story is that uh, one of the engineers on on the on the flight team said. It was too cold that morning. There are these things called O-rings, which keep pressure, and they won't function below 40 degrees, and there happened to be about 32 degrees that day. He tried to tell everybody, and the, 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 the discussion of go fever was going They launched, and the space shuttle blew up because of the O-rings. So I, I want to just read the last two paragraphs very quickly because it was sort of a, it was a very nice dialogue that we had. Leaders need to create an environment and institutional culture that welcomes and encourages individuals to share their opinions. A courageous, independent thinker should voice their opinion and try to convince everyone of the validity of the organization's reality. The views of the independent thinker may not be ultimately adopted, but at a minimum, those views provide a different path, a path against which the majority opinion can be tested and either confirmed or changed. Under this type of process, the best decisions will emerge. In the words of the renowned Brazilian uh, novelist Paulo Calo, if you want to be successful, you must respect one rule. Never lie to yourself. Hmm. Leaders, remember this when one of the independent thinkers on your staff reminds you to face the brutal facts of your reality. It, it, uh, it, it, we had a nice and thoughtful dialogue on that. A after the article, we then uh, went into uh, the medical staff reports. I'll briefly summarize, one of our standard work items is to ask the presenting individual to list their top rank order, their top three concerns. Um, Dr. Uh, Ingenue uh, said, uh, number one, the merger of the medical staffs was his number one concern, and the change in anesthesiology coverage was his second most concern. Dr. Ballard uh, uh, said the, the surge red problem at Highland was her number one concern, provider wellness was her second concern, and the Epic slash Sapphire launch was her third. Uh, Dr. Marzouk's top two concerns were number one, hospitalist coverage, which I'm happy to say you'll be voting on. We'll, we'll be voting on an amendment to coverage for hospitalist coverage at Alameda Hospital tonight. And the second was concern for specialty coverage. And Dr. Marzouk this evening gave, gave us uh, reassurance that he felt that this was moving in the proper way. Um, we then heard a very nice ambulatory uh, report from Dr. Paula Barbaria. Her, uh, when we asked her what her top three concerns would be, she said, epic, sapphire, epic, sapphire, epic, sapphire. So her concerns are, are noted. We heard a very great discussion from Dr. Nick Nelson, who I believe spoke in public mic today. He is the medical director of the Human Rights Clinic, and the work they're doing in the Human Rights Clinic is nothing short of amazing. And uh, it was a very, very good report. We completed the patient safety and regulatory affairs reports and our True North Metric dashboard and closed the meetings. That's my report. Thank you. Yes, yeah, take it away. Thank you. So Finance Committee, uh, we, we met. And uh, it's interesting that your power quote is uh, relevant to the Finance Committee because I think <laughs> when it comes to finances, we're about um, telling ourselves the truth. The system needs to be honest with where we are with our resources. And uh, the good news is uh, through January, um, our EBITDA is just about right on budget. Uh, there are challenges, of course, um, in the supplemental income area. 
we're a little below budget for the month related to uh, a reduction um, in booking to the Medi-Cal uh, Managed Care Graduate Education Program. There's a process we're going through to uh, get recertified there and we expect that the program will be smaller once we go through that process. I just pulled that out as one example of what could happen in the su supplemental income area. As the chair of the committee, it's something I've um, maybe obsessed on a little too much, but I'm very focused on nope. what could happen. No? Okay, thank you. That's why I'm going to tell you the truth. The yes. Supplemental income is something I think trustees need to pay a lot of attention to. So all jokes aside, uh, the good news and then the bad news in terms of um, forecasting, uh, our 12-month forecast, uh, I think under the good management of staff uh, to make up for some uh, bad projections around net patient revenue. Uh, the forecast, though, is that uh, we're going to end the year on target. Now that's a projection, a forecast. That's not, we haven't done it yet. But that's uh, what you want to see, certainly, uh, uh, when you uh, look at where you're heading with your primary financial plan, which is your budget. Uh, the rolling forecast is more it's a bad news. It's a challenge. And uh, I point out to the trustees and anyone else who's listening, we need to really pay attention to um, what's happening with the rolling forecast. And primarily the impact is coming from um, a reconsideration of what very well may happen uh, with the implementation of Sapphire. And uh, I think we're going to need to hear more from staff on that, so I'll leave it at that. But uh, the rolling forecast shows a year out an EBITDA amount of zero, uh, which is uh, doesn't mean, again, it's a forecast. It's not what we've actually experienced. Uh, it is what we would experience if we just continued doing business as we're doing it now. Staff has the burden of um, starting the process around the budget. We'll hear the timeline and process, as did the committee, a little later um, in this meeting. and. The challenge for staff will be to try to make up that difference. We cannot uh, enter into a budget that's not balanced, that doesn't have uh, a healthy, reasonable uh, EBITDA uh, reserve uh, assumed in it. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, finally, uh, the Finance Committee uh, in, in its future meetings will be looking at, at the San Leandro Hospital finances. I believe that's uh, scheduled for next month. Staff is doing a lot, so I hope they can produce that report next month. If not, then it'll be in April. And uh, we're also beginning a process working with the CLO on uh, receiving reports on leases and capital planning. That's my report. Any questions? All right. Uh, I think that brings us to our consent agenda. I see you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you ready now? I am, but we can keep going if you, if you do you want me to go? Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, actually, I think those were good setups uh, for, for uh, my report. So uh, good evening, trustees. I, I will, again, in the instruction, try to zip through this. Uh, I did give you a two-page report, but I've tried to append it with some additional information uh, just to share with you. So um, I may have been overzealous with the amount of information I can actually get through in the interest of time, but I'll, I'll do what I can. Um, this is not moving. Dave, I'll click it on. Is that on me? 
Or is it on? Oh, I don't know. Is there an on? Yeah. Hold on. Hang on. On the side. It's on. <laughs> and the battery is live. This could always be a slide. Sorry, I'm just having all sorts of troubles. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no. I don't know. Can you just drive? <laughs> <from it? laughs> I'll just say slide. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. All right. Uh, so uh, the first part is, as usual, the, uh, the true metric dashboard, which you already have. And so uh, I'm happy to address you. Can go advance, uh, Dave, when you're ready. Um, so it'll be the true metric dashboard. A few field uh, highlights will just give you some updates of what the world around us looks like, at least some uh, um, some clarity that I get. Uh, as I interact with my peers and others, that's fine, thank you. Uh, some system updates as we usually do, I'll give you this SAPR update and just some closing reflections to, uh, to, to kind of capsulize it all. So again, these are always tough to see, you have them. Uh, I should pause now to say we're, we're about, we're performing at about 50%. Uh, we talked about this in QPSC in terms of those metrics. Um, uh, they are, you know, for the most part moving uh, uh, well. We are starting, as we run out of one way to get concerned about a, a handful of them, but uh, not um, the majority of them. Uh, we are doing well overall, but, but there are still some areas where we have performance, and particularly in the uh, uh, the experience uh, category uh, is where we will continue to struggle. So any questions on any of this that I can address? If not, I'll just keep going. Okay. Yeah, yeah uh, a lot of pink. I'm just wondering which boxes worry you the most. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, in the, both in the, um, well, quality, uh, the, the pinks are in the month to date, not in the year to date, because it's both uh, priming and uh, QIP. And, we tend to not forecast those until we get closer to the uh, the end. Uh, as you can see in the report, they are actually progressing. We did make uh, um, uh, some uh, improvement on a couple of them. Some of them, uh, the, the uh, underperformance is connected to changes in our SORIAN to uh, address uh, billing uh, issues at San Leandro in particular that uh, we have to kind of course correct on. But there's good leadership there, and we expect that they'll, they'll continue to progress on those. Uh, the patient experience ones, I think, are the ones that we are struggling uh, a fair amount on, uh, and it's not for lack of uh, uh, effort. Um, we are, you know, I think uh, uh, focused on trying to make improvements. Uh, there are some structural challenges to it. Um, um, uh, Ten here in the team are working with Prescani to try to address some of the procedural elements of it, and we're doing some uh, new approaches to how we do experience and uh, service uh, uh, um, delivery in the organization that will help us hopefully in these areas. But this focus, I just don't know. You know as again, we run out of runway if we'll actually be able to achieve the uh, the, the uh, targets that we've set in those areas. Uh, some on the inpatient uh, side, the last thing I say on, on the access, um, uh, some of those numbers are kind of artificially down based off of changes that we've made, and whether we'll achieve those is uh, is somewhat questionable too. But the others, I think, will by and large, we think we'll. <laughs> Okay, so uh, just in detail, so uh, this is um, actually this week. Um, um, uh, you see on the left, Dr. Nick Pernia, who's not here now because he's still in D.C., along with uh, Sylvia Lozano. They are uh, participating in their last round of a fellowship with America the Central Hospitals. We've been doing this for a number of years now when we have a tandem of a physician and an administrative person uh, participating in leadership development with um, uh, leaders of safety net organizations around the country. And one of the culminating events, and you see Terry Lightfoot there, is that they do heal visits and 
um, I meet with our local um, representatives and advocate for things that are important to us. So you're outside of uh, Congressman um, Will Kana's office right here, and I think the gentleman next to the flag is uh, one of um, Congressman Kana's staffers. So. Uh, and the other person was a uh, colleague from San Santa Clara, I believe. So what's going on in the field? You probably heard a lot about lately uh, surprise medical billing, in, in particular if you've been following local news or even national news. There's been a lot of press around our colleague right across the Bay, San Francisco General, Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, around surprise billing. This used to be called balance billing, so it's when you have a you have commercial insurance, but your uh, plan only covers a certain amount, and then you're left with the remainder. And um, Unlike us, uh, um, San Francisco General doesn't have any commercial contracts. They don't uh, do, it, well, they haven't heretofore done contracts where we have some. And so if you have commercial insurance, yeah, oftentimes, uh, depending on how much your plan is willing to cover, uh, you make it stuff with a hefty fine. And there's been a lot of uh, focus uh, from Vox and Kaiser Health News and other press around the country where um, uh, patients are feeling like they're being put upon uh, in what should be a um, a dispute or a, a matter that's between the uh, organization and the health plan and health plan and so there's there's a lot of pressure around figuring this out there's some um, legislation that's being considered at the state level to address this um, uh, and we're just monitoring it to see uh, what those legislations might come out to be and what impact they will have right now uh, everything that's being proposed actually would not we don't anticipate have any uh, undue uh, uh, impact on our practices and we're, we tend to uh, right now be in line with some of the best practices or at least some of the practices that are being uh, on thought or considered around addressing this. John, back can you recall about a year, two years ago mm -hmm. on this webinar or, uh, at Alameda Hospital in particular, and um, that's what we, we're out of contract. That's we correct. have a contract with several providers. That is correct. Um, uh, well, actually, over time, it only ended up being Anthem, which is right. the uh, largest uh, it plan. It was in United and then and Anthem. And then That's correct, yeah. And, but, but even then, you'll recall the way that we approached this right. was that we, we worked out agreements with patients uh, because it was really mostly about elective procedures. This is about when people are coming into the EB right. or in the trauma, and oftentimes it's cases where the, the ambulance has decided or the paramedics have decided where a patient should go irrespective of whether or not their plan or, or uh, the facility is in the plan's network. So. And it was, a, well, in our case, too, it was a matter of diverting many patients who had the provider who would have preferred to come to the um, hospital and were diverted to, um, in the case of Mayor Spencer, to Herrick or to other places because because the plan said they're not in that work. That's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So, and, and we were working arrangements so that if someone elected to come, uh, we would, we would as much as possible, we couldn't advertise it because there were, there were some rules that precluded it, but we would honor network uh, uh, arrangements if we could. And, and those are what legislations are being considered to, to do anyway. It's interesting to me because it's going to sort of beg the question, if you have this, then why are you doing contracts to begin with? Uh, and I think that's going to uh, eventually have some significant, perhaps unintended consequences on the uh, the commercial insurance market. And I don't know if they're thinking that far down the road, but I'll move on and happy to entertain more questions about this. So Medicare for All, this is a political uh, uh, presidential election climate. You may have saw yesterday uh, Representative Kamala Jayapal from um, uh, Washington, who's a, uh, um, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, actually put in a Medicare for, dropped a bill yesterday for Medicare for All. There is a lot of mixed reviews around this because there's a lot of who knows 
one, how, how much this costs, what are the consequences for not just uh, commercial plans, but also for Medicare and Medicaid, and uh, how will this impact healthcare delivery going forward. So even in the um, uh, Democratic Party, where there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, consistently going to push towards coverage for everyone and access for everyone. Uh, there's a split between moderates and progressives around what should happen here. So we're monitoring it. Uh, obviously, we do this along with our partners in the Central Hospitals, California Hospital Association, and CAPH and others. So we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, this was uh, some of you may have seen on the Hill. Um, a group of pharmaceutical execs got called to the Hill to talk about the rising pharmaceutical prescription drug crop, the cost. We think this is a good thing because those costs of prescription drugs are actually impacting ours. Uh, uh, bottom line as well, uh, as those um, uh, rates uh, of increase uh, outpace our, our revenue. Um, and so uh, this is a great thing. Uh, to be clear, there's bipartisan consensus as well as consensus between uh, the legislature and the White House, and this is an issue that um, uh, the country needs to deal with. Uh, in this case, actually, we're not necessarily considered um, beneficiaries of this because we're considered uh, people who drive costs as well. Uh, this is really more about like prescription drugs when patients go into uh, um, uh, pharmacies to get their uh, prescriptions filled. To be clear, it also impacts us as well. What we're focused on in terms of policies, both at the federal and state level, is trying to uh, delay Medicaid uh, dish cut. Uh, you know that we did this. Um, this has been done, I believe, six times already since the passage of the ACA. Uh, if it's not delayed now, beginning in October, uh, it will uh, be about, I think, a $2 billion um, impact, if not higher, nationwide, and so has significant impact to us. This comes to us through our GPP payments in the, um, in, under the waiver, and so uh, as part of that forecast that um, uh, Trustee Sequin uh, mentioned is the impact of that cut coming through if we're not able to stave it off. Um, Protecting 340B, there's uh, effort, efforts to dismantle this program both at the federal and the state level, a little less at the federal level now, and so it's just a matter of monitoring them and making sure that that continues to be an avenue that's available for safety and organizations like ours. And then finally, the waiver renewal, where uh, you know that uh, in these last two years, there's significant declines in the waiver, and those are also parts of what are driving this uh, supplemental uh, reduction, massive supplemental reduction that we have to anticipate. The challenge for us is those are dollars that we rely on, and if we don't have the dollars, we have to make some really significant considerations for what we can do as an organization without them. Uh, and that's not an easy call to make, um, but it's one that we have to grapple with, and we have to figure out what that what that means for us, and obviously engage you as much as possible. And the balance of um, adjusting and acclimating to that and trying to fight for the resources that we need to serve our community. So uh, we'll continue to do that. Um, I have been both within the organization and uh, um, interacting with my peers around the country in a couple of other uh, forums over the last month or two. And uh, just a few insights I wanted to, to uh, out that, uh, bring forward that are impacting all of us. These pressures, particularly the fiscal pressures, are increasing and impacting organizations' safety net and otherwise. Um, a lot of people are commenting that investments uh, in terms of um, um, kind of uh, when I say uh, venture capital dollars that are coming into healthcare are not coming into traditional health delivery systems. They're going into um, uh, digital health and other disruptors. Uh, and that's an indicator that the market is pretty much saying, we think the future is, is further upstream. They're in different uh, uh, types of delivery models. They're not in 
uh, either sustaining or maintaining the status quo, and that's a message we need to heal, even if it impacts us in a different or tangential way. Uh, one that really struck me, because I think this applies in the um, commercial and the public uh, world, is that peers uh, don't really trust that we're truly committed to lowering costs. That as we've been talking about these things about bending the cost curve and uh, Learn the total cost of care that they don't actually they hardly ever materialize in reducing rates and uh, reducing the cost of care overall and so uh, we have to contend with that in terms of an issue of what, what people how people are continuing to apply pressure to the delivery system and try to move things outside of the delivery system and then finally that we have to be the disruptors ourselves and we have to really think about how we um, don't just make incremental change and try to weather you know the, the, the changes that we've been through um, Trustee, again, Trustee Seguin uh, mentioned that this year we've done that a lot. You know, we've really, and I kudos to the staff, you know, we've, we've made tinkers around the edge to address productivity, to improve uh, uh, throughput, to improve our uh, charge capture and be able to drive revenue through in a, a predictable way. Uh, but there's only so much cap that is available for us to do more of that. And we really do have to continue with what can we do, what should we be doing, how do we partner with others to, um, uh, to share the wealth in terms of making sure that we can provide uh, care and support to our community. Um, turning a little bit inward to the system, this is actually, uh, we, I did my uh, last um, uh, quarterly, what we call chat and shoot with uh, randomly selected staff yesterday. Uh, so this was a group of us that got together. It's a nurse, a uh, physician assistant, someone working in HR, um, environmental services, interpreter services, and two in IT. Um, and then one who works in revenue integrity. Uh, but a great gathering, a lot of discussion around the EHR and the excitement around that from multiple vantage points and also uh, discussions around uh, staffing challenges and some of the uh, things that you heard reflected tonight. Um, on a positive note, I want to mention that we're excited that our SNFs actually are all back at five stars. Um, Park Ridge and South Shore have remained at five stars, and that's been quite laudable. We should celebrate that. Fairmont took a bit of a dip for a while, and Richard and the team have really uh, been working with the providers and the staff to really uh, address some quality challenges, and we're all back at five stars. As of yesterday, actually, February 27th, this is uh, um, uh, publicly reported that we're at five stars. Um, we, on March 1st, tomorrow, I think that's right, yeah. Um, yeah. We will do our last clinic going live, so uh, we oh. look back at, you know, over over a year and a half ago talking about uh, going towards primary care competition, and this campus, the Highland uh, Primary Care Clinic, will be uh, going live on primary care competition effective tomorrow, so we're excited about that. I want to thank Tangerine and Palab and the leadership in uh, Pace, oh, I'm sorry, in um, uh, Pop Health and in Ambulatory for uh, ushering this effort forward. Uh, you heard earlier um, from Dr. Jingo that uh, we now have 5150s in uh, um, uh, uh, capabilities and approval in all of our EVs now. So at Alameda and San Leandro now, patients can be, uh, 5150s can be both placed and lifted. Uh, they're not receiving facilities, but this helps us in terms of when patients are in-house and 5150s are placed that they don't have to um, uh, be shopped over to John George. They do still require a psychiatric uh, consultation, so we will either be doing those through uh, physical presence or through telemedicine uh, at our sites, but it's a, uh, a just another way that we're bringing care to the patients, and we're doing it in our facilities so the patients aren't waiting to be transferred and holding up uh, uh, flow in those areas or even confounding our um, our sort of public safety and public health uh, resources to move them throughout the, the county. I'm sorry to jump in on that. So who who will know about that, and and will it, will it affect different municipalities? 
Uh, so actually, uh, I'm going to look to Karen because she answered my questions and then I didn't get to finish all of my emails today. Uh, so um, um, this, uh, when this was approved, it actually got <laughs> not just for us, but for uh, there's a clinic in Berkeley uh, as well as one here in Alameda County, right? That also got it. Yes. Literally. So, so um, I did ask the question about marketing, and I know you answered it, but I didn't see it. So if you could answer sure. how we how we get that message out, that'd be great. Yeah, come on over. Uh, thank you for the question. It, um, actually, we even had internal questions around that. So technically, since it's a county designation, so they have bestowed upon Alameda Health System, what they have already started to do is market that. We've heard some um, chatter that there's been on NPR. They have convened some of the EMS providers around the, the county, and they're making their rounding with city leaders talking about it. Um, it is a little bit organic because we are finding that there's a little miscommunication in terms of what that means even our internal folks. So, so we do have something on our internet trying to clarify what that process is. But at the end of the day, what the county has said is all those new providers that were approved by the board on the 29th of January, those new facilities, will become a level uh, two, which for the county means it's not a holding facility, as Derek uh, mentioned. But they are right now working on the training that will occur. Alameda Health System has been doing it for many, many years when we were one big happy family, so the training is limited. Um, but they have required that we hold before we do any telehealth. So at this point, we are uh, trying to leverage and do some expansion with our psychiatry president footprint um, in uh, concert with and in preparation for when they allow us to formally implement that. But that's going to be a big difference that we're looking for. So we're, we're trying not to step on the toes in terms of communication, but it really is a, is a county effort. So um, some of the communications around that. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're on uh, the budget process. So uh, you see my creative uh, drawing there. This is where we, we're, we're in the phase of the budget where we're actually in the need of actually producing the budget. As uh, uh, our finance chair mentioned, uh, we're working with staff. We're actually planning an upcoming forum where we will share with the staff uh, the, the, the true sort of complexity of the challenges that we face and get feedback from them. Um, you know, quite honestly, some tough trade-offs that we we'll have to make as an organization. I mean, we're looking at things like, uh, just for example, uh, elimination of, of discretionary spending, so you know, meals and travel and any of that stuff, uh, we may not be able to support as an organization, and we'd rather do that type of thing before we get to you know, cutting services of, uh, uh, or streamlining uh, uh, other sorts of things. Not to say that that may not be necessary as well, uh, but we're, we're trying to uh, make sure that we get as much stakeholder engagement, understanding that these are going to have impact across our, uh, across our workforce. Uh, but it's the reality that we face, and, and we will uh, we will proceed with presenting to you then uh, uh, what that looks like as we as we go forward. Um, sorry, that's a nice little graphic. Um, so uh, I'm happy to report that uh, <laughs> is going to be there, but actually uh, I, I pulled it straight from the brochure. Um, the foundation uh, officially launched our campaign. We call it uh, for the EHR. We call it charting a new course. You get it, charting a new course. Uh, the campaign for the health system. So we had our launch uh, last night. I think it was, and that's a running together. Um, and the goal for us is a million dollar fundraising effort, 20 of which we've already gotten from uh, Kaiser Permanente and. 
and now we're going to try to raise uh, 30 million more in support of our EHR efforts. And so uh, we're excited. We have great uh, participation from uh, uh, medical leadership in the organization, including uh, Dr. Newmark, I'm sure uh, Dr. Jamaluddin, actually Dr. Zorthian uh, has graciously agreed to uh, support our effort, and Dr. Sebak, uh, Evan Sebak in our uh, primary care clinic. Uh, and we have a couple of community members, including some of our foundation board members. So really excited about that effort. Um, uh, invite you to help us support the effort as we reach out to you and ask you to open your wallets as well. So uh, thank you uh, for that. So I didn't want to say much about this. This is actually a slide that Luis presented for me last, uh, or for us last uh, uh, month, uh, just to keep you apprised of. We're continuing to work with the county to uh, um, uh, clarify the efforts or the process by which we'll secure um, uh, cap approval for capital um, uh, projects and efforts that are uh, that go along with the capital cost reimbursement that we are uh, returning to the county as we get the, that reimbursement. Uh, we've been a little bit stalled this month in terms of communications, which I hope we can uh, keep going because um, uh, we're running out of time, to be perfectly honest, to make sure that that can happen during the budget cycle. So I uh, look forward to uh, 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 perhaps eliciting some of your help to help us to keep this moving forward. Um, but nothing again. Uh, this was also something presented last month. We would hope to have a bit of an update. Um, uh, there has been uh, dialogue between uh, um, the administration here and uh, uh, the leadership for the district uh, uh, board uh, on kind of understanding um, uh, what we thought was an assessment uh, that was looking at the future past 2030. Uh, I think we got some clarity that maybe it wasn't uh, that, and so it's a little bit of uh, ambiguity about what, what will come out of that. But uh, nonetheless, um, we have, per the, the state law that was approved last year by April 1, to submit the plan that will require board approval, so we'll work with you on that, uh, for how we will, we will um, meet the uh, seismic compliance rules at, uh, for Alameda Hospital. So uh, as you know, significant investment, uh, um, some mixed uh, sentiments about you know going forward and what that will mean for both the hospital and the system. Uh, but we have to uh, produce a plan, and the plan will uh, pretend how we will move forward to actually uh, meet that compliance uh, um, uh, expectation by, by uh, next June, June of 2020. Um, well, according to the EHR, I'll just zip through these. Uh, we are on target. Um, um, this is our epic report. We are satisfactory. They, they uh, continue to give us that. You see where we are in terms of the testing phase, getting dangerously close to that green circle of go lives, uh, but we're going to keep proceeding there. Uh, some of the accomplishments are that uh, we did hit our um, uh, milestone in terms of the bill. We're now working on testing. It's a lot of great work happening with the team. Some up and downs is to be expected with, uh, with respect to staffing. Uh, we're working on the training curriculum. Got a a little bit behind, but the team is moving forward. They have their all-hands meeting today, and I had the chance to interact with them uh, and Mark's uh, leadership, and things are they're really feeling energized by this and understand the gravity of it and are motivated to to uh, move us forward. So, And I want to thank all the uh, providers and others who are helping to uh, um, advance this effort, too. I'll echo uh, Dr. Ballard's comments. Uh, I'm increasingly excited and nervous about uh, where we are and where, where we uh, have to go to move forward. Uh, the only thing I'll point here is that we're trying to now activate our credential trainers and our special, uh, specialist trainers and super user recruitment uh, because the, the next stage is the actual uh, training for those entities and then uh, our individuals and then it goes on to everybody's training in the uh, early part of December to go live in September. 
this is where I always reflect the budget. Uh, numbers are small, but effectively what you uh, will get from this is uh, based off of the budget, we should have spent about $44 million on the project right now. We've only spent uh, just under $20 million, so we, we're ahead of budget. Uh, we continue to be ahead of budget. This is a part of uh, what uh, Trustee Sheehan was mentioning. We have the team now doing a deeper dive on how much of this is true savings that we have been able to pull out and, and how much of this is just delayed because of you know things uh, uh, lagging in terms of when we brought them online versus when we expected them to come online. So, so the cost will actually just come a bit later. So we're trying to extract what that true experience is, which will then pretend how much cap space we may or may not have for uh, uh, the net negative balance that we'll be able to leverage as we go, go live next year. So with that, I just want to say some uh, quick closing closing remarks here. Um, you know, staff and uh, providers uh, in the organization uh, to be commended for the work they're doing. Uh, this is not, you know, it's not easy. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, this was yesterday. Um, uh, Dr. Ng and uh, uh, another pathologist uh, were actually doing all this validation work uh, over at the uh, system. Um, over at the uh, Creekside facility, and I walked in on them and kind of sort of surprised them, but uh, thanked them immensely. But people are working really hard, um, and there's a lot of uh, challenges uh, that we continue to face, uh, but a lot of promise for the things that we're doing going forward. And I just wanted to uh, underscore with the second point there that the alignment of engaging uh, uh, um, engagement with our uh, providers and our leaders in the organization just becomes increasingly um, uh, vital to our success because uh, these challenges are continuing to come out come at us and. Um, uh, that's what I'm saying here, that the efforts to bend the healthcare cost curve are continuing, the risk uh, the sustainability of some of the value-based um, um, delivery models we've, we've come up with, and this is something we're looking at now too, right? that you know, as the supplemental dollars go away, those supplemental dollars were basically funding some things that we don't get reimbursement for, but we're doing because they're important for actually providing effective and timely access, like e-consults, like nurse-only visits, like pharmacist-only visits. As those dollars go away, the ability for to sustain those are actually going away along with it. And in many cases, because we've created a system where our model is not to say, well, those are GPP-funded things, so we'll only do them for the remaining uninsured, we do them for everyone. So in current state, we're already losing dollars uh, because under Medi-Cal, we don't be reimbursed for those. But as they go away, then our system re returns to, uh, or has a threat of returning to something that's a lot less access-friendly uh, uh, and a lot more costly, to be perfectly honest. Uh, uh, and that's unfortunate. So we're trying to uh, fight against those ties, not just to keep dollars in the organization, but to promote um, uh, the tenets of what we uh, hold true, which is uh, value-based uh, care delivery for our, for our patients and our community. And then finally, I would say, you know, um, I think tonight's discussion is a great example of that, or discussions, uh, a lot of them is that I remind us, we're in the, we're in the transformation part of our strategic plan. And there's a lot of uh, decisions and efforts that we're moving forward here that are they're pretty su substantial and they're pretty significant. And they feel, we feel the pressure of that. Uh, I'd say with uh, this board support, you know, we, we can keep pressing forward as an organization. It's important that we, we model, and I think we're doing a, a good job of that, uh, that we may disagree sometimes, but we don't have to be disagreeable. You know, that, that uh, even when we make tough decisions that we understand 
that everybody's doing the best they can under the circumstances that we face, some of which are beyond our control. Uh, but at the end of the day, all of us are, are keeping the patients first, keeping the community first, and, 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 and uh, making sure that we sustain this organization so that it's here long, long after any of us are, are, are long gone uh, and doing the best they can to continue to serve the community. So um, we will, that will continue to require radical transformation, and it's not, I wish I could say it's going to get easier. I, I don't see that happening in the next year. Uh, so I want to be completely uh, honest and transparent about that, and, and I hope that we can continue to, to not just weather this, but make some thoughtful uh, uh, and um, um, you know, rational decisions under the circumstances that will, that will position us for success going forward. And with that, I'll, I'll thank you for your time. Thank you. Trustees, any questions, comments? Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. That was great. Thank you. All right, so now I will move on to the consent calendar, and I will entertain a motion. I move to accept the consent calendar. Second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Uh, I make note, I'm going to abstain oh. from voting on items E2 through E4, which relate to Alameda Health Partners. Thank Otherwise, you. I vote in the affirmative for the remaining. Thank you for that. Um, actually, after the first name. Hold on. If, uh, if I might ask, the uh, in terms of your decision to abstain from that, do you feel that you're required to abstain from voting on those items? I'm trying to do whatever I can to reduce bias in this. So I, I, it's going to vote in the affirmative either way. So I'll, I'll maintain my vote of abstention. From okay. I, and, and I just want to be clear that you're not required to abstain from voting on these simply because they do a kind of help on there. So. Thank you, Council. Oh. Mm. All right. Okay. Good enough. Cool. Where does that put us? Well, we've already covered F1. Uh, uh, and two and three are written, right? Are we receiving anything, or is it we just, Mike? You no, th those are written reports. I think they're very, you know, fairly straightforward. If there are any specific questions, you know, either regarding uh, the license piece on the San Leandro uh, Acute Care Hospital transition or on the uh, HRSA corrective action uh, to the on-site visit, I'm happy to answer them. But. Uh, bottom line, both are on track according to the timelines that we have laid out. Um, I guess really, so all, for all of these uh, reports that are written, if, if staff have, I mean, if trustees have questions, um, ask them now, and if, if you don't, uh, I think we're ready to um, move to closed session. Uh, I, I guess I want to speak to you. Yeah. Just real quickly, a comment on uh, the budget process and timeline. <clears throat> I, I think um, it's important that in the budgeting process that we be value-based there as well. Uh, one way that um, you can ensure social justice within your budgeting process is to look at uh, parties who might have um, danger falling below the threshold in terms of their needs. And I you may have heard of one tonight during public comment. Mm -hmm. So I don't know and I don't have enough information. Mm -hmm. But I would just uh, provide that as an example of uh, a group of folks who, uh, because of the nature of the relationship between hospitals and residents, um, maybe we're pretty thin in what we provide them. Mm -hmm. And so when we 
take away discretionary dollars, for example, that probably value-based uh, analysis might lead you not to have that applied to that sort of group. Mm -hmm. I just want to, that's my opinion. I'm just saying that out. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that. Thanks for that. Um, I, I, I actually, I, I forgot. I had two comments. I, I just wanted to say that items five uh, and four and five. Um, item four, the market share analysis uh, Ashwari presented to us at finance was just really, really great information. And I just want to publicly, again, uh, honor that work. And if people haven't looked at it, take a look. It's, it's really fascinating. It really is. It tells you a lot, um, kind of bigger picture and little picture of where we are. Uh, and then on item five, um, so we have some of our colleagues from the county in the room. I just want to um, point out that this was the... Um, um, item that came up at our last joint meeting with the Board of Supervisors that Supervisor Hagerty had raised around um, uh, Behavioral Health Partnership in South County. And I really want to commend the staff again for thoroughly looking at this and not only for looking at it but for reporting it out to us. Uh, and I, you know, I know we will, we will want to share that with his office in, in detail. Um, so that he understands our partnership is countywide. Engaged in that, yeah. his office, uh, yeah. some sharing of that information. Yeah, and um, with all things, there's a cost associated. So, uh, but I think I think there's an opportunity there potentially. And um, so, yeah, I just want to again commend staff for being responsive to that and kind of recognizing that our relationship with the board of supervisors is just as important as our relationship with pretty much everybody else. It's all about relationships, isn't it? Um, so, thank you, staff, for that. Um, and if anyone else has uh, comments, all right, uh, we will adjourn to closed session. Thank you, folks. And we will adjourn to closed session uh, for a report on a pending litigation matter and a performance evaluation of the company code.